Every day, we have countless decisions to make that will directly affect our future. From the little things like, what am I going to wear tomorrow? To the big things like, what are we going to eat after this is over? We have budgets, calendars, spreadsheets, five, 10, even 20 year plans. But those plans we make often change. Those goals we set shift and the dreams we have fade. Let me ask you a question. We know every choice we make is a step in a direction. But do we even know which direction we're going? So when you look at your life, what's the plan? Well, I want to welcome everybody here today and everybody joining us on the stream and on TV. We're glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family. We're in the middle of a series called Greater Than. We've looked so far that God's love is greater than anything we've ever dreamed or imagined. We've also looked at the uh, God is greater than our greatest fear and greater than our greatest worry. And today we're talking about that God can make greater decisions for our life uh, than we can. Now, one of the things that I know about the human condition is that we struggle at making good decisions from time to time. I got on the internet and I found some pictures of people who struggle to make good decisions. Here's a picture right there for you. I don't know if you can see that. There's a reason everybody has a hazmat suit. Might not be a, an opportunity for a photo op. You know what I mean? At that point in time, that's not a good decision right there. Let me, let me show you another one. This guy probably thought in his head that this was a good idea, but that's not a good idea. That's not a good decision. How about this one? This is for all the folks who love evil Knievel, okay? Uh, good decision, kid on the bicycle. Bad decision, kid under the bicycle. That's not a good decision by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I used to do that when I was a kid. That was so much fun. Let me show you another one, another bad decision. This is why women live longer than men, right there. That's the number one reason. And this is also another reason why women live longer than a man. What in the world is he thinking right there, using the ladder in that way? And then we have this picture as well. You know, it's kind of interesting. When I was looking for pictures that kind of showed that a woman makes bad decisions, I couldn't find a single picture on the Internet of a woman making it. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? Well, here's what the Bible says, friends. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Now, that's true, isn't it? Look at the, look at the to totality of your life and all the bad decisions that you've made. Maybe you made bad decisions with money. Maybe you spent money on something you shouldn't have spent money on. You bought a car that you later regretted, bought a house that you later regretted. Maybe you went out on a date and you thought to yourself, what in the world was I thinking going on this date? Maybe you had a deal that wasn't the deal that you thought that it should be. But you thought you were doing the right thing, didn't you? I mean, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Why is that? Because we have a way of convincing ourselves that bad decisions are good decisions. You ever said anything like this? It's not that big of a deal. It's just this one time. Nobody's ever going to get hurt. You ever say any of those things to yourself? That's when you know that you are in serious trouble. And then when we make a bad decision, we find ourselves on a dead end. Reminds me of a story of a guy who was driving his car, and he wanted to pull into this one particular street, but there was a sign right there that said, street closed, bridge out. 
Well, he kind of looked down the road a little bit to see what in the world was going on. And as far as the eye could see, it looked like the road was absolutely fine. So he thought, well, maybe it's an old sign. Maybe the bridge isn't really out. really want to go this direction. So he headed that way, drove about four or five miles. And wouldn't you know it, he got to the place where the bridge was completely out. It was completely impassable. So the guy's got to turn his car around, got to go all the way back four or five miles. He gets back to where the sign was by the street that said bridge out. And on the back of it, someone had written, welcome back, stupid. (laughs) Friends, that sums us up, doesn't it? We think we're going the right direction. We think that we've made the right decision. But in the end, it leads to death or it leads to regret. So what we're talking about today is of the utmost importance because every single one of us are going to make a ton of decisions. From the Columbia University, there was a professor that said that the average person makes about 70 conscious decisions every single day. Did you know that? Did you know you make 70 conscious decisions every single day? I'm not talking about no-brainer decisions. No-brainer decisions like, should I shower? Should I put on deodorant? Should I brush my teeth? I'm talking to you, middle schooler. The answer is yes to all of those, all right? These are bigger decisions that you have to make. You're actually consciously deciding which direction you're going to go. We make 70 of those decisions every single day. In the course of a year, that's 25,550 decisions. And if you're so lucky to live to be the age of 70, you will make 1 million 788,500 decisions. You want to know why you are where you're at today in your life? It's based upon your decisions. Because you make your decisions, and then your decisions make you. We are the summation of the choices and the decisions that we have made. And every decision, we're building our life. There was a rich man, and he had a particular employee who had been with his company for 30 years building homes. Well, he gets to the very end where he wants to retire. He's just got three months till he's going to kick back, take life easy. He's going to retire and be on easy street. Well, the rich man said, listen, before you retire, I want you to build me one more house. He said, would you do that for me? Would you build me one more house? Well, the guy who's getting ready to retire doesn't really want to build one more house. He's tired. He kind of wants to coast over the last three months. So he begrudgingly says, yes, I will build you one more house. Well, the rich man goes off on some exotic vacation, leaving him to work on this house. And he's kind of tired. He's kind of frustrated. All he wants to do is retire. And so he begins to kind of, you know, shorten the house a little bit. He begins to use inferior products. He doesn't, he kind of cuts some corners along the way. He says, you know what? I can cover everything that I'm doing that's kind of poor craftsmanship. I can cover it with sheetrock and other things. I'll make sure the finishing touches look good. But the infrastructure of this house won't be like a typical house that I built. The foundation won't be like a typical foundation because I just want to retire. I just want to be done. Well, three months goes by. He finishes the house. Rich man comes back from his vacation. He says, man, I'm so excited. You finished your last house. Congratulations. I hope you will thoroughly enjoy your retirement. Then the rich man said this. He said, as a special gift to you, 
I'm giving you the keys to this house. And the man at first was very excited. Thank you. But then he thought about how he built it. And how to the naked eye, you couldn't see how messed up the house really was. But he knew. He knew what was going on behind those walls. He knew about the foundation that he poured. He knew about every shortcut he had made along the way. What's the point of the parable? Every single day you're building your life. You're building your house. You want to make certain that you're building it one brick at a time with one good decision after the next, after the next, after the next. So you can see how important this is for us today. So I want to give you three questions. I know there could be a lot more questions we can ask ourselves to making good decisions, but I'm going to give you three questions. I think these three questions are so good that they're worthy to be written in the front of your Bible. And you know, I don't say that very often about you writing stuff in the front of your Bible, but I honestly believe these three questions will save you from a world of regret. If you will apply these three questions to the tough decisions that you have throughout the course of your life, I think you'll make better decisions. And I think you'll get to the end of your life with fewer regrets if you'll just ask yourself these three questions. You ready to write them down? Here's the first one. What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this decision? I could see some of you are like, oh, man, I knew that was coming. I knew he was going to say that when he's a preacher. Of course, he's going to say, what does the Bible say about this? And to be honest, you don't like that one at all. And the reason you don't like that one at all is because you don't know what the Bible has to say about anything. And you really don't care about what the Bible has to say about anything because you never read the Bible. I mean, you're fortunate enough to be one of the few generations of people who have all 66 books of God's Word. But it you know, sits on your desk. It, it's in your nightstand drawer. It's not something you pour into. It's not something you meditate on. It's not something you memorize. And the reason you stay away from the Word of God is because you really don't like what it has to say. There's something inside the human condition where we don't like anyone telling us how to live our life. We don't like anybody telling us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We don't, we don't really appreciate that. We, we think, I'll handle my life the way I want to. I'll make my decisions the way I want to make my decisions. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. There was a guy who went out and he bought himself a jet airplane. And he was opening up the owner's manual. And he was reading how the airplane was supposed to function. And there was a warning on the manual, and it said this, do not exceed 400 miles an hour. Well, this ticked the guy off. He said, you've got to be kidding me right now. I don't know who the guy was who wrote this owner's manual, but no one's going to tell me how to fly my plane. I will fly my plane however I want to fly my plane. It's my plane. So he's mad. He's upset. He throws the owner's manual down. Nobody's going to tell me how to fly my plane. I'll fly my plane the way I want to fly my plane. So he immediately takes it down the runway and takes off going 150 mile an hour. Then he's going 160, 165, 170, 175 mile an hour, 180, 185. Do I hear 190? 190. 195, 195. 200, 205, 210. He's just flying through the air. No one's going to tell me how to fly my plane. I'll fly my plane any way I want to fly my plane. Going 300 mile an hour. 310, 320, 330, 340, 350, 360, 370. Somebody tell me how to fly my plane. I'll fly my plane any way I want to fly my plane. 380, 390, 400, 410. 420. He got to 425 mile an hour. Do you know what happened? The wing sheared off. And he died. That's a parable. I just made that story up. <laughs> but he ignored the wisdom of the owner's manual. You see, the one who built the plane knows how the plane operates. Who made you? 
Who created you? Who knows how you operate, how you run, how you run best? That is the word of God. That is the owner's manual to our life. And yet I'm shocked at the number of people who say, I trust what God's word says about my eternity, but they don't read it for their today. I mean, for many of us, we just don't have very many verses memorized. We don't really allow the word of God to guide us in any major decisions that we make, whether it's voting, whether it's how we handle our marriages, how we handle our finances. We just kind of do whatever we think is right, picking up a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But the true north is the word of God, isn't it? But most people don't have a clue what the word of God has to say. And that's unfortunate because how can you gain the wisdom of God if you don't know and apply the word of God? Friends, listen to me. 99% of God's will for your life, for my life, is already written in the pages of of the Holy Bible, of those 66 books that we've been given. And it's a miracle that we even have it. Kings and queens and tyrants and princes have all tried to ban and burn that book and get rid of that book. People have been imprisoned. People have died so we might have possession of it. Here we are. We live in the United States of America. You live in the country of Belize. And it's not against the law for you to read the Word of God. It's not against the law for you to have the Word of God. Yet we don't take the time to read it. We don't take the time to gain its wisdom and to apply it to our life. We make ourselves the exception to the rule. We say, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do or how to live my life. I'll do what I want to. It's just a matter of time for the wings of your life come flying right off you. And you crash and you burn. Look at what the Bible says about itself in Psalm 32, verse 8. God says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. In the pages of the Bible, we have the opportunity to be mentored by the great men and women of our faith. I mean, please don't tell me that you're the kind of person that has to learn everything the hard way, that you have to make your own mistakes. Please tell me that you have some wisdom inside of you that says, you know, I can learn from others. I can learn from other people's pitfalls. I can learn from other people's successes, right? Please tell me you're the kind of person that doesn't have a problem learning from the life stories of somebody else. Why are there so many stories in the Bible? Why are there so many people in the Bible? Because God wants us to relate to these people. And he wants us to learn the mistakes that they made. He wants us to learn the, the things that they did right. And then maybe we could learn from their failures and learn from their successes. And our life could be better as a result of that. You got the opportunity to be mentored. You understand what I'm talking about? You can be mentored by Moses, one of the greatest leaders who's ever walked the face of the earth. You can walk in his footsteps as the dust comes up in the desert, and you can watch him lead two million slave children out of captivity into the very cusp of the promised land. For 40 years, you can watch him deal with the biggest bunch of gripers and moaners and groaners and complainers and see what he did right And see what he did wrong. You should take a master's course in the leadership lessons of Moses. Or or do it with Nehemiah. Nehemiah built a wall all the way around the city of Jerusalem in 52 days. That which has never been accomplished for 100 years before was done in 52 days. Watch him cast vision. 
Watch him rally the people together. Watch him show them that teamwork makes the dream work. Watch him recast the vision 26 days into the project because the people grew tired and they grew fatigued. Life lessons are right there in the pages of this book. You can sit down with David and say, David, what was it like when your son Absalom tried to throw you off your throne? What's it like to be betrayed by a family member that way? What could you have done differently, David, in your parenting with Absalom that maybe you hadn't ended up in that dead end? Hey, David, what was it like the day when you were a snot-nosed teenager and you heard that giant saying all kinds of terrible things about the kingdom of God and God himself, and you said, you know what, somebody's got to put this loudmouth sucker down, and I'm just the guy to do it. What caused you to run out onto the battlefield when everybody else quivered in fear? Where did you get your courage from? Where did you get your perspective from? Maybe I can gain some courage, too. What was it, what was it like, Peter, when you left everything? You left everything everything, the greatest catch of fish you'd ever had to this point in your life, and you left it all to follow Jesus. Why in the world did you do that? What what did you know about Jesus that we didn't know? What did you hear? What did you see? And every time you put your foot in your mouth, what did you understand about Jesus's grace? And the ability to give you a second chance. What was it that caused you to be so sold out to the things of God and to the kingdom of God that you were willing to be crucified upside down a cross because you didn't feel like it was you were worthy to be killed in the same way that Jesus was killed? There's over 400 men and women's unedited stories. And you know what they're screaming out? Learn from me. Learn from my failures. Learn from my successes. Look at what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. These things were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. God had these stories written down and preserved for us so that we might gain the very wisdom of God himself. Can you imagine how different your life would be And the trajectory of your life would be if you and I would stop arguing with the word of God or stop ignoring the word of God. What would it be like if we actually started applying it? Can you imagine if we all applied the word of God to our finances? I bet you wouldn't be in debt anymore. I bet you wouldn't worry about having more month than you got money because you'd be living long below your means. And you'd be generous too, wouldn't you? When we put things up on the church and say, hey, we accomplished this and we did this and we did that. And you'd say, man, that's where the, God's money went. That's awesome. I was a part of that. You wouldn't have so many fights about money anymore, would you? I bet this past week, many of you in this room and at home, I bet you had some fights about money, didn't you? Because why? Because you're not doing it God's way. You're doing it your way. Because there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Can you imagine if you applied the word of God to your relationships? You'd be the best friend anybody's ever had. You'd love one another and care for one another and pray for one another and encourage one another. You'd do all the one another's that the Bible tells us to do, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd just be there for that other person no matter what. You would be the best friend anybody's ever had. And you'd be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. If you just applied the word of God to your relationships, to your friendships, how about to your marriage? 
we applied the word of God to our marriage, maybe we wouldn't fight so much. Maybe more patient with each other. Maybe if we got on our knees and prayed with our spouses, it could make a difference. Maybe we could read the Bible together. Maybe we could go to church together. Maybe we could serve God together. It could put Jesus as the centerpiece. Or you could do it your way. And you can fight and be cantankerous and put put downs, uh, slams each other, and just kind of more and more distance between you. Can you imagine if we applied the word of God to our soul? If we would finally admit that the only way our emptiness inside of us could be filled is through Jesus? And that we were never satisfied with just saying some sinner's prayer along the way? That we wouldn't think that the sinner's prayer was the finish line but the beginning? And so when we prayed and asked Jesus into our life that we really surrendered our life to him? That when we said we're going to follow him, we actually got around to actually following him? We'd have the peace that passes all understanding. We'd realize that nothing, none of the stuff of this world can satisfy us except for him. And we'd pray every single day, oh God, less of me and more of you. Because all I want is what you want for me. If we just would apply the word of God to our lives. But what do we do? It's, it's, in the, it's in the drawer. It's under the bed. It's somewhere. Collecting dust. Show me a Bible that's fallen apart. And I'll show you a life that's not. Show me a Bible that's fallen apart. And I'll show you a life that isn't. So are you in a small group? Do you read this thing on a daily basis? Do you mark it up? Do you say, this, I'm, I'm going to apply, that was, that's the verse for me. I'm going to apply that to my life. Things are going to be different because now I'm being guided by God's holy word. And not by pop culture or the opinion of this person. or the I'm being guided by the word of God. Here's what I found to be true. You ready for this one? In life, there are two teachers. Okay? You'll pick one or the other. If you don't pick the first one, you will get the second one by default. And both of these teachers will cost you something. So you need to understand that. There's two teachers in life. You ready for the teachers? One is wisdom. The wisdom of God. And it will cost you something to gain the wisdom of God. It will cost you time. You'll have to actually put the phone down. You'll have to actually stop streaming whatever show you're binge watching at the time. And you'll have to spend time on a daily basis in the word of God. It will cost you time. You ready for the second thing it'll cost you? It'll cost you pride. Because you can't argue with the word of God anymore if you're going to apply it. And you can't ignore the word of God anymore if you're going to apply it. So it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you pride. You come to the word of God humbly. God, whatever you want, whenever you want it, that's what I want. And that's all that I want. You are the true north. Your word is wisdom. Your word is truth. I will apply your word to my life. Now, you can choose that one if you want. A lot of people do, and a lot of people don't. A lot of people choose for the second teacher. The second teacher is consequences. And it'll cost you more than the first teacher. It could cost you your life. It could cost you your marriage. It could cost you your kids. It could cost you everything that you hold precious. But there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. So which way 
will you choose? First good question to ask yourself, what does the Bible have to say about this? And here's what's great. If you have a study Bible, in the back there's a thing called a concordance. And somebody really smart has written down every verse by every topic that the Bible speaks of. So if you're curious about what to do about this or that, you just look in the back of the Bible and there's a whole bunch of verses and you can find the wisdom of God super simple. That's the first question. Let me give you the second one. What is the loving thing to do? That's a good question, isn't it? Look at this, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 1 John 4, 11 and 12. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. How about John 13, 34? Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You kind of get the idea, verse upon verse upon verse, that we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love others. So the question we ask ourselves is, what's the loving thing to do? Because most decisions that we make affect somebody else, don't they? It just affect your life, but it also affects the people in your sphere of influence, right? It affects your wife. It affects your husband. It affects your kids. It affects friendships. It affects a whole bunch of different people. So the question we ask ourselves is, what's the loving thing to do? Well, making this decision make me the husband or the wife that I long to be. What's the loving thing to do? Well, making this decision help me to be the parent that I want to be. What's the loving thing to do? Will this decision help me draw closer to God or farther away? What is the loving thing to do? Years ago, a guy came to my office. He wanted to have a conversation with me. It's kind of funny. He came to me for wisdom. That's hilarious. He came to me for wisdom. And I, he, had a, he had a concern. I said, what's going on? He said, well, I've got a job opportunity in another state. Now, that happens quite a bit in Albuquerque. We're kind of a middle state. A lot of people transition from Albuquerque to Denver or Dallas or Phoenix, bigger market, bigger opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so this young man comes, and he says, I've got an opportunity. I've got a chance to move to another state. He says, I'm pretty excited about it. It means a whole lot more money which means that now I can take care of the college fund for the kids, which is a, a very good thing. And it also means that we can live in a bigger house, and we can have nicer cars and a lot of nicer stuff, and a lot of things that my mom and dad couldn't provide for me when I was a kid. I'll be able to provide those things for my kids if I take this job. I said, well, what's the problem here? I don't know why you came to me for any wisdom. Sounds like it's a pretty good deal to me. He said, well, here's the downside. Yeah, I kind of have to travel more. And I'm not going to be home as much as I am in my current job. In fact, it's going to cost me about three months a year. Spread out. But I'm about three months less time with my wife and with my kids if I take this job. But boy, it's a big step up in the corporate ladder. So I looked at him. I said, you know, that's a tough decision. I, I understand why you're having a hard time, I, I get that. I said, I'm in a different stage of life than you're in. My kids are pretty well grown up. And, but I can tell you what I did when I was your age and when my kids were your age. He said, yeah, tell me about that. I said, well, I'll tell you a little secret that most people don't know. About 18 months into starting this church, there was a huge church that called me on the phone, wanted me to become their senior pastor. 
It was a bigger church. It was a bigger budget. It was a bigger opportunity. It meant a lot more money for my wife and I. Whew, a lot more money. I could put away for the college education. I could have the bigger house, the nicer cars, all that stuff that you're talking about right now. I could have all of it. But it's a bigger church, so it had more responsibility. So that meant that there was going to be a whole lot more meetings that I had to attend. There was going to be a lot of nights that I was going to be out, and I wasn't going to be available to be the dad that I really wanted to be, to be the husband that I wanted to be. So Christy and I, we sat down, and we wrote out the pros and the cons, and, and then we prayed about it, and we prayed about what we thought the right decision would be. And so I passed on the job. And the reason I passed on the job was because of them. I didn't want to miss them growing up. And I didn't. No friends. I didn't. I was there for every game, for every birthday party, for every vacation, for every moment, for every broken heart, for every celebration. I was there. And there's no amount of money that you can offer me that would somehow entice me to miss everything I got to see and be a part of. You see, you don't want to get to my age and have regret because you pursued money and wealth more than you pursued the things that God put you on this earth to be about. Love this verse of scripture. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I bet most of us in this room are making more money than you've ever made before in your life. And you still want more. If you're like me, you do. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Am I here to worship the almighty dollar or almighty God? Am I here to do what he's called me to do? What's the loving thing to do? Am I here to be the dad or to be the money machine? It was an easy choice for me, and I have zero regrets. Do you realize how good this question is? What's the loving thing to do? You have an opportunity to say something unkind. Stop and ask yourself, what's the loving thing to do? You want, to, you want to slam into your wife. You want to slam into your husband again because they did something stupid. They did something wrong. Your children, once again, did the thing that you just told them five minutes ago not to do. What's the loving thing to do? Should, should you help your friend? What's the loving thing to do? Should, should you see a need and, and then meet a need? Well, what, what's the loving thing to do? When you get to the end of your life, what do you want to be known for? Don't you want to be known for someone who just loved God? And loved others? That's the second question. Let me give you the third one. Will this help me fulfill God's purpose for my life? Will this help me fulfill God's purpose for my life? Now, here's what's interesting. If you don't know what God's purpose is for your life, then you'll never know how to answer that question. And what's interesting to me is that a lot of people don't understand why they're even here on this earth. Why are you here? So I'm here to make money, and I'm here to pay the bills, and I'm here to live my life. And you say, well, no, 
I think this is a greater purpose than just that, don't you think? I mean, if that's all there is, this is kind of a cruel joke. When you look at the life of Jesus, he understood why he was here. I mean, there were people at all kinds of agendas for Jesus. They were pulling him over here and pulling him over here, and they wanted him to be this, and they wanted him to be that, and multiple times they tried to make him king, and he just walked away every time because he knew becoming the king of this earth was not his plan, not purpose of God. In fact, he said it over and over and over again. Here's one time, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He wouldn't be detoured, would he? He had his focus on Golgotha, the place of the skull. He was going to die for the sins of all mankind, and he was going to rise again from the dead. That was God's plan. That was God's purpose for his life. And nothing would sidetrack him. So do you know why you're here? Why do you exist? Why is there breath in your body? Why is your brain still functioning? Why is it that your body still works? For what purpose are you on this earth for? Well, I, I have a purpose statement. It's the same purpose statement as our church. I exist to know Christ and to make Christ known. That's it. Now, there's lots of ways that that plays out in my day-to-day -day life, but at the end, that's God's plan and purpose for me. I was made by God for God to have a relationship with God, so I'm here to know him. That's the whole point of this thing, is to get to know him, to have a relationship with him. And then my job is to make him known to other people who are far from him, because there really is a heaven, there really is a hell, and people really are going to go to one place or the other. Do you know why you're here? Because in the words of the great theologian Alice in Wonderland, she once said, if you don't know where you're going, any road can take you there. And that's true, isn't it? I like the way Proverbs 29 puts it. Where there's no vision, the people perish. When you don't know why you're here and for what plan and for what purpose, a little bit of you dies inside. And if you don't understand how God fits into your marriage and the plan and purpose he has for that, a little bit of your marriage dies. If you don't understand why you're here for being a parent, a little bit of your parenting dies. If you don't understand the kind of single you're supposed to be, a little of your singleness dies as well. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what's God's vision for your life? Why do you exist? Why are you here? And then does this decision help you advance the kingdom of God? And again, there's a myriad of different ways that that can happen. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. But very few people end up somewhere on purpose. So those are the three questions. I'm sure we could come up with more, but I'm out of time. Are they worthy of your time and attention? Worthy of putting in the front of your Bible? What if you could have your default mode go to those three questions? And just maybe, just maybe, we would all choose a little wiser. What's the Bible have to say about this? I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to do it. What's the loving thing to do in this situation? Will this leave people in better shape or in worse shape if I make this decision? And why does God have me here? In this situation, in this point of my life, what does he have me to do? What am I supposed to be about? And does this decision help me accomplish the purpose that he set forth for me? Friends, we are the summation of our choices. 1.7 million choices over the course of 70 years. We need to choose wisely. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would take your word seriously, that we would take your truth seriously, that we would take loving you seriously. Lord, I pray that we would take your plan and your purpose for our life seriously and that everything would funnel through those three streams when we make life's decisions and choices. Lord, every single one of us has regrets. Every single one of us did what we thought was right in our own mind. And it ended up taking us down that dead-end road. Lord, this next week, we're going to make a lot of decisions. Help us to do them with you. Help us to be attentive to you, to listen to you, and to do what you would have us to do. Even when the road is hard, even when the road is narrow, help us, Lord to seek you and to do your will more than anything else. And Lord, I pray for anyone watching me or here in this room that's never made the decision to trust you to be the leader and the forgiver of their life, that today would be the day that they would finally make the right choice and they would surrender the control of their life over to you. Your plans are greater than anything we've ever dreamed or imagined. God, help us to choose wisely. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.